Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Consumed Sermon Series, which talks about loving God and loving others with everything that we have. We hope that this sermon would be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, John 21 is where we're going to be tonight. We've been going through a series on being consumed and really trying to, uh, to help us understand. I'm going to take my tie off too, just so you know. Um, we've been going through this series to help us just understand our theme for the year, loving God, loving others. And that's been 10 weeks. And if you've been with us through the series, what we've learned so far is uh, really just about a consuming love, what a consuming love uh, challenge or what it means to be consumed with a love for God and uh, how that, what it looks like on a daily basis. And so I'll just tell you real quick some of the things we've looked at. We've seen, number one, that a consuming love desires to be close to God. If I'm going to love God from the heart, I have a desire to be with him and to meet with him. And uh, we talked about our daily relationship. A consuming love uh, is... It means I love other things less. And we talked about the verse where uh, Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, you've got to hate father and mother and uh, brother and sister and even your own life. And he needs to have that preeminence. And we're going to see a little bit more about that tonight. We talked about a consuming love being evident in our actions. We looked at Micah taught this, a consuming love is going to affect our relationships. And John 13, Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. John 13, 34 and 35. Robert taught us about a consuming love. It's going to cause me to love what he loves. And the idea behind that was if I'm consumed with a love for God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a heart to want to tell people about God. And we're going to love souls like he, does, like he loves. Uh, Luke 19, 10, he came, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. The week after that, Brian took the Bible and showed us out of 2 Corinthians 5 that a consuming love moves me forward. And the verse there is that the love of Christ constraineth us, that really that consuming love motivates our decisions. We looked in Ephesians 3 and saw that a consuming love is more it's more than just infatuation. There's a lot of Christians that live an infatuated Christianity. They just, they just kind of think a lot about the Lord and, and think he's a good, you know, a good being and, and supernatural, but they don't really, aren't really loving him from the heart. And we talked about that from Ephesians 3. And then uh, but Daniel, he helped us out of 1 Corinthians 13, that a consuming love is key to anything lasting. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, that there abideth faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is charity, and just got broken down and went even into chapter 14 to help us understand that that love should be at the root, and if, if we're, if we're going to leave a legacy, if we're going to leave behind us anything that's of value, it's got to be done because of a consuming love. And then two weeks ago, we looked into uh, the passage in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we looked at really the verse that Jim taught on a little bit this morning, First uh, Timothy or Second Timothy 4, 8. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord hath promised to uh, not me only, but to them also that love his appearing. And we looked at last week that a consuming love looks forward to seeing Jesus. And a consuming love loves the appearing of God. And because of that, it kind of uh, gives us a little bit of motivation to live for him. And uh, if you want to go back and listen to any of those messages, I would encourage you to do that. But tonight we come to this final message in our series. And really, I just want us to be challenged one final time <clears throat> with the idea of loving God 
more than anything else in our life. And to help us, we're going to be at John 21. And uh, before we turn there, though, I just want to ask you if you've ever known somebody who uh, is constantly trying to make your decisions for you. You ever had somebody like that, that's trying to make your decisions? Some of you are like, yeah, it's my wife, or yeah, it's my husband, or that's my parents. Uh, but we could all probably think of somebody who has, who has maybe tried to help us make certain decisions. Um, every now and then, <clears throat> Lena is that little person for me and Hannah. And uh, she was that little person, especially when she was younger. Um, it, and in particular, what I was kind of thinking about is the fact that Lena, she still loves it, but especially when she was younger, she loves to be tucked in. Like, I want someone to come tell me goodnight. And I remember when Lena was about five or six and seven years old, that she would, she would try to persuade you of why you need to come and tuck her in. And so it'd be time for bed. And I'd say, all right, Lena, you know, boys, it's time, time to get ready for bed. Maybe we'd do our Bible time together and we'd pray and say, all right, you guys go to bed. Lena would say, okay, you're going to come tuck me in, right? And I'd, I'd say, well, yeah, yeah, I'll probably be there. And probably wasn't good enough. And she'd say, okay, so I'll see you in a few minutes, right? And almost salesman-like, you know, shaking her head and everything. And say, yeah, yeah, probably, Lena, I'll, I'll try to make it in there. Well, she'd go to her bedroom and about 45 seconds would go by and she'd go, hey, dad, mom, coming to tuck me in, aren't you? And Hannah would say, yes, Lena, we, we'll be there in a few minutes. About 20 seconds later, I'm just checking, are you guys still coming? And you know what she's trying to do? She, that whole time, she's just trying to get us to make that decision. I want you to come tuck me in. Be, Dad, you, you said you would, so go ahead and just come tuck me in. And she's trying to help me not to forget. Don't forget, it's time to tuck me in again. You know what? If you didn't go tuck her in, she would probably find, she, she would try to find a way to help you make up your mind to tuck her in. There'd be nights that I would say, Lena, no, I'm not gonna come tuck you in. And I remember a couple nights when she would put on that, that face. You know, the face that a little girl gives her dad and she'd be like, Daddy, you know I'm gonna grow up someday and you're not gonna be able to tuck me in anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, all right, I'll be there in a minute. Man, with Lena, her whole idea is I'm trying to help you. Dad, I wanna help you make the decision that's right. When I come to John chapter number 21, I find Jesus with the disciples and he's trying to help them. He's trying to help them make the decision that's right. John 21, there's a lot of, that has taken place. If you were to go to the passage and we're gonna see it in just a minute. But John 21 is just about, about four to four and a half weeks after the resurrection. And as you come to the place in John 21, we're going to discover that the disciples, they've, They've already seen Jesus three, maybe four times, and they're supposed to meet with him again. Um, but Jesus isn't showing up on the timeline that they think he should. And so they make some decisions to kind of resort back to that which was comfortable. And we'll see all this in just a minute. But in the passage, what Jesus does is he once again reminds them of his love. 
but then he works to call them into making a decision. And the decision that he works to call the disciples in making, and, and mainly Peter, is this thought. Peter, I want you to love me more than anything. Peter, the decision I want you to make is to love me more than anything. I want you to see the passage with me. And so if you would stand, John 21, and uh, we're going to begin reading in verse, um, verse number one. Actually, verse number three, we'll go there. No, we'll go to verse one. And we'll read down a few verses. We'll kind of skip around. So let's go to John 21. And beginning in verse number one, it says this, after these things, Jesus showed himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. So if you do the math, there's Peter and six more disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say to, unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Go down to verse number, um, verse number six. He saith unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it in, to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Verse 9, as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring ye of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up, and drew the net, land, drew the net to land full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. Skip down, if you would, to verse number 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Go to verse 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, uh, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. There's a lot that takes place in this chapter, and we're not going to spend time on everything tonight. But to help us with our message, I want you to go to verse, 20, verse number 15 and just look at this verse with me one last time. And it says, So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon son of Jonas, Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord. Thou knowest I love thee, he saith unto him, feed my lambs. A question that Jesus asked Peter was, Peter, do you love me more than these? That's a question that we're going to answer tonight. And so let's pray and then jump in the outline. Lord, we thank you for the day and we thank you for the word of God. And Lord, I'm thankful for this passage. Um, Lord, you know it's always challenging to me. And I pray that you would convey your word and your spirit and your thoughts through me tonight. God, I just yield myself to you, and I pray that as we go through the message that you would uh, just help us. Father, I pray that you would uh, speak to us as only you can, and Lord, that as we listen tonight, that you would use your word to change us. And before I close in a word of prayer, why don't you take a moment and just ask the Lord to speak to you tonight in a personal way.
Lord, again, thank you for your word. We pray that you'd bless our time, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You go ahead and be seated tonight. And uh, <clears throat> recently, if you were to go to the passage, you would find that Jesus and the disciples, they have just uh, been going through, of course, uh, Jesus had just been crucified. The disciples had just uh, witnessed not only the resurrection, but then they'd witnessed the risen Jesus. And uh, of course, you'll, you'll remember that Jesus met with them, uh, I believe two times up in the upper room and uh, maybe three. And then he met uh, some disciples on the road to Emmaus. And there was a few other times where Jesus appeared to the disciples or to Mary Magdalene. And then Jesus gave the instructions to Mary, uh, go back and tell them that they need to go up to Galilee and I'm gonna meet them there. That's what you find when you come to John chapter number 21 is the disciples waiting for Jesus to come and to meet them. As you, as you first open up the, the chapter, I, I find Peter and the disciples, they, they settle on this decision and the decision was to go back to what I'm going to call a comfortable life. They go back to their comfortable life. If you were to go to verse number three, you find Peter with these six other men. Peter says this, I'm going fishing. Hey guys, I'm out. I'm going fishing. And all six of the others follow after. Hey, we go too. We're going as well. And the Bible tells us that these guys, they go back to fishing. And while fishing is not all that bad, there's no record of Jesus ever telling them to go back to fishing. What were they doing? I believe uh, some guys would say, well, they were just going to kind of kill some time. If you were to go and study the life of the disciples, they weren't taught about killing time. They weren't taught about just, well, if, if, if I'm not around, you guys just do whatever you want. Jesus had told them, I want you to go. I want you to wait for me. I want you to spend time in prayer. I want you to be ready because I'm going to come and give you a mission. And so they get up there and what do they do? They resort back to that which is comfortable. You see, they had most, most of these men that had followed Jesus, they were fishermen. They were fishermen by trade. And so they uh, just kind of went back to the old lifestyle, if you will. Peter had this mindset made up. Hey, listen, Jesus hasn't showed up yet. I'm going fishing. So they make this decision and we know that Jesus had already told them what they were supposed to do. The Bible tells us in uh, Mark 1:17, Jesus said unto them, come after me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus had already told them, I'm gonna turn you into, I've got a new mission for you and it's to become fishers of men. You're gonna put away that old life and you're gonna follow me and become fishers of men. But here they are in John 21, going back to that which is comfortable. But I want you to see the results of what happened. When they went back to doing what they wanted to do, one of the reasons we know God definitely wasn't in it is because John 21, the last part of verse number three, it says this, that they went out all night and that night they caught nothing. That night they caught nothing. They came back empty handed. They came back looking and, and uh, of course being out there frustrated. They say you're not fishing if you don't catch anything. Isn't that right, Quinn? You're fishing? I, I heard you were just sitting. That's what I heard, that if you're not catching anything and these guys caught something, Leo, I heard you got really excited when he caught that fish and got, got excited about catching that bass. You know what? These guys, they weren't excited. It wasn't a good fish story night. It was a story night, but not a fish story night. They just sat around talking and didn't, didn't catch anything. And here's what I want us to see. If you look in verse number five, Jesus said unto them, hey, have you any meat? And not meant. And they answered him, no. No, we don't have anything. Why? Because... Their comfortable life, going back to that which was normal, was not led of God, and it ended up empty. It ended up empty. 
They had been fishing all night. They caught nothing. And this was a a result of their selfishness. And we find another result in verse number four. If you look at it, it says, but when the morning was, uh, was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. The disciples knew not that it was Jesus. You know what? Listen, here's guys who had spent three and a half years with Christ. And he comes and says, hey, did you guys catch anything? And they don't recognize his voice. Now, I don't know about you, but after spending some time, maybe three years with somebody, I think you would probably recognize their voice, wouldn't you? Man, some of you have been married for many, many years, but you'll recall uh, those first few years of getting to know each other and recognizing the voice of your spouse. You have close friends that maybe uh, you've been close to for many years that when they talk, unless they're disguising their voice, you recognize their voice. You recognize who it is. And even if they're trying to disguise it, man, you probably recognize the voice of a friend or the voice of a sibling. And yet here they are out fishing. They've caught nothing. And their, their relationship with the Lord has grown distant. And the relationship's grown distant. They'd gone out on their own accord and based upon their own decision and their selfishness to go back to that which is comfortable. Now they didn't catch anything. They're empty and they're not recognizing the voice of God. Can I just tell you tonight that this happens to us when we choose what we want and when we choose that which is comfortable and when we put ourselves first. Listen, when you put yourself first in your faith and in your walk, you will always end up just like the disciples, empty and away from God. That's that's just a simple truth. When we choose our way instead of God's way, when we choose that which is comfortable rather than that which is faith-provoking, we will always end up empty and we'll always end up not recognizing the voice of God. Oh, the relationship is still there. We are still God's children. They were still the apostles, but the fellowship was broken. We're often tempted to fall back into that which is comfortable as well. We're challenged sometimes to take a step forward for the Lord, but instead we resort to a place of comfort and too often we just kind of fall back. We choose what we want, and we take Jesus out of the equation. And then we end up with a hurting heart and broken fellowship with God. When we do that, what we're doing is we're saying, God, my plans are more important than your plans. We're just taking Jesus out of it. There's a quote, and I use it often, but the simple fact is this, that when you take Jesus out of anything, it falls apart. When you take Jesus out of a marriage, the marriage may last, but it won't be healthy. When you take Jesus out of a a family, the family may stay together, but that family is not gonna be what God wanted it to be. You take a marriage out of your individual life, you may become successful, but you're not gonna become fulfilled. Because when you take Jesus out of things, it just, it falls apart. Here's these disciples. They kind of took Jesus out of their decision here and they fell back to that which is comfortable. They were accomplishing their plans and they reverted back to what they knew and they weren't weren't getting the outcome that they wanted. I see this, this evening as we look at 
these disciples, we find them going to their comfortable life. But when I look at this passage, I see, secondly, I see a compassionate Lord. A compassionate Lord. Because notice verse number five. <clears throat> it says, Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Skip down, if you would, to verse 9 down through 11. It says, And as soon as they <coughs> excuse me, were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and 150 and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Here's what happened is Jesus calls out to them. Did you guys catch anything? No. Hey, cast the net on the other side. And uh, probably, I, I don't know if they were frustrated or I don't know if they were just kind of like, man, who does this guy think he is? Because at this point, they don't know that it's Jesus. They don't really recognize his voice. And so probably in frustration, they either pull the nets from the one side and throw them on the other, or they just have them right there and just throw them to the other side and, and maybe just like, well, we might as well give it a try. And I can kind of, I, I don't know, put myself in the place of the disciples probably bickering a little bit over it. You know, they don't recognize the voice and they're like, man, we haven't caught anything all night. Who's this guy think he is? I mean, come on, you, you really think we're gonna do it? Oh, come on, we should just go ahead and give it a try. And maybe Thomas is the one that's like, well, it's not gonna work, you know? We call him Doubting Thomas. Oh, no, I just don't think it can happen. Maybe Peter was the one that was like, look, it's my boat. Don't throw the nets over. We've been doing this all night. And maybe John or James says, you know what? Just do it. All right, fine. So they grab it and they throw those nets over. And almost immediately, almost immediately, the weight goes. The, the alarm systems that are attached to the nets go off and they begin pulling that up and, and begin dragging fish. And you read the story, they catch 153 fish and inside of that, maybe one or two nets and the net wasn't broken. Do you know what I see in this? Jesus doing that? And then them coming to, they, they, uh, can, they come to the land. And when they get to the land, what do you read in verse 9, 10, and 11? You read that as they get to the land, that Jesus, of course, now they've recognized, because when the, when the net's filled up, it's a miracle. And they're like, okay, oh, oh, that's, oh, that's Jesus. We better get back in. And they get in there. And what do you find? You find Jesus already there with a fire. He probably had the right marshmallow roasting technique, Craig. <laughs> But he wasn't roasting marshmallows, he's roasting fish. And he had fish on the fire. In the Middle Eastern custom, uh, in that culture, it's customary that if you're really wanting to get to know somebody, that you'll spend a meal with them. And you'll, you'll want to spend time with them. And really in our culture, that's kind of customary as well. You're trying to get to know somebody, maybe, hey, let's go out to dinner. It's a, it's a sign signifying, I wanna grow this friendship or this relationship. And so they come into land, and here's Jesus with that fire, with those fish there. And it's him telling, I believe it's him kind of sharing with them, hey, hey, I've st I still love you. Hey, I still care for you. You imagine maybe the, <clears throat> and I wish we had time to belabor the, the whole thing. But if you think about this, they've already seen Jesus a couple of times, but you have to know that the disciples were filled with a little bit of regret. 
Because on the night of Jesus' crucifixion, there's only one disciple. The scripture gives us all four gospels combined, give us only one disciple that stayed near the crucifixion. That would be John. Peter denied, Judas betrayed, and the other nine fled. All of them. So I can imagine them maybe sitting at dinner. Uh, from the scripture, this would be the only time that they sat at dinner with Christ after the resurrection. Maybe they're there sitting at dinner. I don't, I don't think much was being said. You know what it's like when you got in trouble with your mom and dad sitting at dinner. Maybe you don't. I, I really don't either. But some, some, someone in here might. Man, I can remember sitting at dinner after getting in trouble. And you know what? You're just, you're just kind of sitting there. Awkwardly eating. And just kind of looking at each other. I can see the disciples kind of doing that. Just sitting there kind of awkwardly eating and, and looking at each other. And yet this whole time, the whole picture, here they are out fishing. Jesus blesses and gives them fish. And then they come in and Jesus has a meal for them. This is simply Christ saying, hey, I still love you. Hey, I still have compassion for you. Hey, you went back to that which was comfortable, but listen, I'm still for you. And Jesus in his love was there with that, with that meal and in his love blessed and gave them those, those fish. And the simple fact is this, that when they obeyed Christ's instructions, they found what they were looking for. They obeyed him, right? He said, cast the net. They cast the net. They found what they were looking for. But that, their, uh, them finding the fish and that dinner, it wasn't based upon what they did. It was all based upon his love. And you see, Christ's love is based not on what we do, but it's based completely on him. It's based entirely upon him. I've said this before, and we need to mark it down. The fact is that there's nothing that you could ever do that will cause God to love you any more or any less than he does right now. And because of God's love, God has a plan for your life. Even when you and I resort back to that which is comfortable, God says, I still want to use you. I still want to work with you. And he asks you and I in faith with a heart of love to follow and to trust him. And as we do this, we find what we're looking for. We find that fulfillment. And God, he desires to work and to bless and to help and to encourage and to uh, challenge you and to strengthen you all because of his love for you. He cares about your hurts and your frustrations because of his love. He cares about your weaknesses and your pain because of his love. He cares about your joys and, and uh, your goals and some of your dreams. God cares about that because of his love. And because of his love, he says, I have a plan for you. <clears throat> the disciples, they didn't have to do anything for this. But God was trying to help them understand, hey, I want to meet with you. I still love you. I see this evening, I see Jesus coming and those disciples, they're there resorting to that comfortable life. But in that, I see a compassionate Lord that says, I still love you. Even though you went back, I still love you. And, but what we get to as you move to the end of the chapter is what I believe is kind of the main thrust of the chapter. And that's Jesus trying to get Peter to have what our theme is, trying to get Peter to have a consuming love. 
He's trying to use the whole situation to draw Peter, and specifically Peter in this chapter, to draw him to one decision. But really, before we get to it, I want you to remember some of the things in Peter's life. If you have your Bible, turn, if you would, to Luke 22, just, just quickly tonight. Luke 22. The night of the crucifixion. <clears throat> You'll recall that Jesus had told the disciples that one of you is going to deny me. And uh, they were asked, is it, you know, one, or one of you is going to betray me. They were all asking who it would. And Peter said, though all men betray you or deny you, I'll stand by. And Jesus said to Peter, before the cock crow three times, before the cock crow, you're going to deny me thrice. And of course, Peter adamantly said, Lord, even though everybody would run away, I'm not going to do that. But Luke 22 records for us exactly what would happen. Luke 22, verse 54, it says this. Then they took him, took Jesus, and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after another confidently affirmed, saying of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew, and the Lord turned and looked upon him. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And the last verse, verse 62, says, And Peter went out and wept bitterly. When I'm reading that passage, I often find myself looking there in the verse that says, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. I wonder what that look felt like. Here, Peter had denied him. Jesus had predicted it. And in the moment, you can go and study it, but I believe that Jesus probably was being scourged at this point. And so Jesus is there stretched out being scourged and being whipped. And the Bible says after Peter denied him, they could see each other. And I imagine Jesus just looking over and Peter seeing the blood on Christ and Peter watching the Romans and watching what was taking place, knowing he had just denied the Savior of the world. No wonder you read verse number 62 that he went out and wept bitterly. Man, it was, a, it was a cry, a weeping of regret. It was a weeping and a cry of probably frustration with himself. Peter denied Christ three times the night of the crucifixion. Well, you go back to our passage, and we find Peter face-to-face -face with Christ, face-to-face -face with the one that he denied. I want you to notice, we already read par portion of it, but... Notice what took place in verse 15 down through verse number 17 of John 21. We read these words. So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. He, Jesus, saith unto him, Peter, again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter answered and said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus says to him, Feed my sheep. 
Peter, or excuse me, Jesus says the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. How many times did Peter deny Christ? Three. How many times did Jesus ask the question, do you love me? Three times. Now, we can't, we can't uh, draw a big conclusion and say, well, here's why he did that, but we can speculate a little bit. I don't believe that it was just accident or that Jesus couldn't hear the answer Peter was giving. I think this tonight, I think Jesus was trying to help Peter understand just the simple truth that Jesus has already, by, showing, by giving them the fish and calling them to dinner, hey, Peter, I still have a plan with you. You denied me, but I can still work with that. You, uh, you denied me that night three times, but Peter, I still want to use you. But Peter, here's what I need from you. I need you to love me more than these. <clears throat> you say, Pastor, what are the these? There's been a lot of speculation about that. The these, could it be the disciples? Always saying, do you love me more than these, these other guys? I don't believe that's true. I don't believe the Lord was trying to compare love with the disciples. I believe if you look at the context of the scripture, what had they been doing? Fishing. What was Peter comfortable with? Fishing. What was Peter's livelihood? Fishing. What did they have sitting by them? A net full of 153 fish. What was cooking? What are they just eating? Fish. So I believe if you look at the, at the whole context of John 21, I, I believe it's the fish. And here's what Jesus is getting at with Peter. Peter, do you love me more than fishing? Peter, do you love me more than these, these fish? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me enough to give up what you're comfortable with? Fishing isn't a bad thing, but Peter, do you love me enough to give up that which is precious to you to follow me? I believe that Peter got it because Peter pulled a, tried to pull a quick one on Jesus. Well, how did Peter try to pull a quick one on Jesus? He was the change the topic type of person. You know, you've been talking with somebody and maybe it's your spouse and you're having a good conversation. Your spouse asks you a question and you go, so where would you like to eat later? What are you doing? You're changing the subject. I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about, you're just changing the subject. That's what Peter did. How do we know that? If you skip down to uh, verse number 20, 21, and 22 down in there, you find that Peter and Jesus are having this conversation and Peter looks and he sees John and he looks at John and says, hey, Lord, what about him? You've been picking on me for a while. What about, what about John over here? Peter's trying to change that subject. I think he's getting it. And I believe Jesus draws it back again. If you look at verse number, uh, verse number 22, Jesus saith unto him, if I will till he tarry that I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Follow thou me. Christ had just told Peter, I've got plans for you. Lovest thou me? Feed my sheep. Lovest thou me? Feed my lambs. Lovest thou me? Feed my sheep. Peter, I've got something for you. Well, what about John? Don't worry about John, Peter. I'm calling you to follow me. 
You know, Peter, or what Christ was doing is Christ was trying to call Peter to this thought of, Peter, I want you to have a consuming love for me. Peter, I want me. I want to be the focal point in your life. Peter, I want to be what you focus on. Don't focus on other people. Peter, focus, follow me. Don't focus on the fish. Peter, follow me. Lovest thou me more than these? You know, sometimes we, we miss a consuming love for God because we get our focus off. We, like Peter, focus on other people instead of on the Lord. We, like Peter, focus on things that are special to us more than the Lord. Peter asked, or Jesus asked Peter the question, do you love me more than these? And I want to ask you that question tonight. I want to ask you, do you love the Lord more than these? I don't know what your these is tonight. Your these might be work. Your these might be some sort of a hobby. Your these might be your house. It might be a car. Your these could be your family. But here's the simple truth tonight that God is saying is I don't want you to have a these. I want it to be me and me alone. Our theme verse for the year, Mark 12, 30, 30 and 31, but 30 says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. You want to know why most Christians, why most Christians feel empty or hurting or confused or frustrated? Do you want to know why that happens? It's because we love something more than we love the Lord. And the something we love more can sometimes be good things. It's, it's great to love your spouse, but don't love your spouse more than you love Christ. Can I say tonight, it's great to love church, but don't love church more than you love Jesus. It's great to love serving the Lord, but don't love serving more than you love him. Your kids are an heritage from the Lord and their gift and the fruit of the womb is his reward, but don't love your children more then you love the Lord. And so I want to ask you tonight, this thought as we wrap up the whole series, if you're thinking about where you're at, ask you the question, what are your these things? What are your these? Lovest thou, thee, lovest thou me more than these? What are the things in your life that you're loving more than God? Because here's what I believe tonight. I believe that God, when he said, thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, he was saying, just like he did in Colossians, I want the preeminence. I want not to be first place. I want to be the only place. I want to be the only thing you focus on. I hope that this year we've been challenged to be consumed. Be challenged to have a consuming love for God, 
<clears throat> I wonder tonight, what, what is it in your life? What is the these things that you're putting before God? What is that that's been more important to you than your relationship with the Lord? Maybe it's been a few extra minutes of sleep. Maybe it's been uh, something on some social media thing, some TV show, some sport. I, I don't know. What is it? Maybe it's been a sin. Maybe it's been a spirit of unforgiveness or a spirit of bitterness. But tonight, may we each one just have this decision to say, God, I don't want to have a these. Lord, help me to love you more than these. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.